0: I um, put this series together, I quite happily and maybe quite naively added confession and dutifully put my name next to it. Originally, I put Kevin's name next to it, but then Matt said, I think Kevin should preach here and you should do this instead. But anyway, I did as I was told. Um, And this week I tried to sit down and write it with the reading that I put next to it. um, And I really wasn't happy. Uh, I didn't think that was what God was calling us to speak on at all. Um, I kept looking at the Bible, reading around it, researching it, listening to what other people have to say on it. And um, I, I wasn't settling. I wasn't happy. And I was catching up with Tam in the week. And she said, well, in the Catholic Church, confession has actually been been renamed to the Act of Reconciliation. And I had a little and look at this and as she was right they they refer to it as the act of reconciliation and I think that is something very different to confession confession is admitting that you've done something wrong it's one thing for us to say to God I'm sorry that I've done this it's another thing to then reconcile as part of that If you watch any film, TV series with a vaguely Latin American influence, it's normally a Catholic influence in there. And normally there's a a scene involving a confessional. There's a TV show that I, for my Sims, love called Desperate Housewives. And in it, there's a character called Gabby. And Gabby is always going to the Catholic priest to confess something that she's done. It's usually I've lied to my friend, I stole Breeze her friend's family recipe, I've cheated on my husband, I killed my stepfather. There are some Hail Mary's said to her to give and a very shocked priest and off she kind of totters off in her heels and all will be done because she's confessed what she's done wrong. It sounds a bit crude and obviously it's there for extreme comic effect but my point is, is that she admitted it, but then didn't go a step further. There was no, you should now go and do this. You should go and say sorry to your friend. You should probably hand yourself into the police if you've you've gone and done that. There's none of that there. And we laugh, but I think, confession, there needs to be more to it. There needs to be a act rect- of reconciliation, the restoring of a relationship. That means... That one needs to be convicted, one needs to re- repent, one needs to confess, repent, restitute what they have done, and then reconcile. And I'll explain a little bit more at the end about those. But I honestly believe, though, that there is something good about confession and that being a standalone act. There is sometimes when we do something wrong that we can't go back and restitute that with somebody. We can't do any of those steps that I've just said. There's also times when we haven't wronged anyone else. The only person we've actually wronged is God. And therefore we've got to restore that relationship and confess to him and say, I'm sorry for what I've done. But today what I really want to look at is the act of reconciliation as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. So that brings us to our reading, which is taken from Luke 17, 1 to 4. And if you're new to the Bible, Luke is, uh, is one of the Gospels. It's the third one in and it's found in the New Testament. And it says here. Jesus said to his disciples. Things that that cause people to stumble are bound to come but woe to anyone whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown in the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. This is the word of the Lord. So let's dive right in and just have a look at what what is going on here. We have that first line, things that cause people, people to stumble are bow to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. In other words, we all will hurt people. If you're in a relationship with another, whether that's a friend, mother, father, colleague, husband, wife, children, whatever that will be, you will hurt them. Whether that's you drop the ball, you said something that you shouldn't have, you've, you've done something you didn't know would even begin to upset them. You've not done the washing up. That's the regular thing in our house that upsets somebody in our house. So we all do things that hurt someone. If we are brutally honest with one another, we will hurt people. And if I'm brutally honest with you at some point, you're probably going to be a bit cheesed off with me or Matt. You might be totally okay with that. You might be totally okay with the fact that you go around hurting people. You probably need to question that if that's you, but you might be one of these people who actually that really bothers them. They don't want to hurt anyone. But then we do things and we just do it and we don't even realise that we've done it. We are human. We make mistakes. And then this passage continues, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone around their neck. And that mafia style death sounds awful, but actually in that day, it was a well-known figure of speech. If you've done something wrong, well, woe to you, better that you you drown than you carry on. It was just kind of one of those things that they say, like we say raining cats and dogs. Not the nicest thing to say, but it was apparently a thing that they said nonetheless but it sounds harsh and horrible but it's actually it's really warning us it's a warning that that's such a severe phrase it if that was so this does not mean though that christians who cause someone else to stumble will lose their salvation and incur god's eternal wrath that's not what it's saying here if that was so, none of us could be saved because we will have sinned in this manner. David sinned in this manner when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed, causing the enemy as the laws to blaspheme. that's in 2 Samuel. Peter sinned in this manner when he fell into hypocrisy out of fear of the Judeans. And so that the other Jewish believers and Eva Barnabas joined him in this. Both men repented of their sin and experienced God's forgiveness. Indeed, the mark of a true believer is that when his sins leads them to be weaker, believing into sin, he confesses, and that sin is restored when they say, God, they are restored when they say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. If the professing Christian, though, does not repent there may be good cause for questioning about someone's genuine faith. What is going on in this is that Jesus is urging us to see this graphic picture is how serious relational sins are in God's sight. And it continues here with, it will be better than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. That's not referring to children, or maybe it is. But it's, it's when I say maybe it is, it's because it's referring to people young in faith, into Jesus's followers. Here he's showing his tender concern for their well-being, just as parents will want to guard their children, some, someone who would harm them. So God is concerned that his children not be hurt by those who claim to be Christians, but who set or Christians who set a bad example. While each person, including the new believer, is responsible for his own sin, there is a sense in which those who are more mature in their faith bear responsibility to such younger children. Thus Jesus warns the disciples, be on your guard. Be on your guard, people. He means in each of us, we need to first and foremost look at our own hearts. Take a long log out of you, take the log out of your own eye before you challenge the speck in somebody else's. When relational conflicts erupt, the first thing you should do is to ask for God to show you what part you are responsible for. If you think being generous, you're responsible for about 10%, you probably need to multiply that times 20 We are all prone to justify ourselves and blame others. But healing will not begin in a damaged relationship until each person allows the spirit of God, the word of God, to shine in his or her own heart to reveal what they've done wrong. We must be on our guard against relational sin because we are so prone towards it. Sadly, we only need to look at the state of the church to see that. Our reading continues. It says, and if it happens to you, if it happens to your brother or sister sins against you, go and talk to them about it. If they repent, don't hold a grudge, forgive them, even if they keep sinning against you. At the time of Jesus, when he, um, when Luke was writing this, it wasn't really about a good story, but it was about real estate. So, and what I mean by that is that the gospel writer would have taken hours or even days of Jesus' teaching and summarised it down into one line or paragraph. And we have started here because I think it encompasses what reconciliation is this passage here encompasses what we've got to do as Christians and just as Luke has summarized what Jesus has said I'm going to try and summarize this again as well so what is this saying we will hurt people but that doesn't make it okay be careful to do it as little as possible when people hurt you challenge them say hey let's go for a coffee I want to have a chat with you or hey that hurt my feelings that was not right if they repent forgive them for what they owe you in other words when when they said to you I'm sorry forgive them but that doesn't mean that it just needs to sit there in forgiveness. There's, there's probably a bit more that needs to be done, and I'll go into that a little bit later on. But how many of us ignore this step? Someone says to us, I'm sorry, but then you just put up your wall of defences. You go and sit and fester in your anger of upset and denial. But I want to challenge you who wins there. Because you haven't won, you are sad and you are upset, and you feel pretty rubbish about it. When we forgive someone from what they've done, we are released. And then the rest of this passage says, "Repeat as necessary." Every time someone hurts you, they ask for forgiveness. You forgive them. You've got to keep doing it. That is what we are commanded to do here. That is what this passage is asking us to do. Notice here, though, that Jesus' end aim here is reconciliation of relationships. Reconciliation and forgiving the way that Jesus taught is perhaps different to the way that our world teaches. In counselling and self-help, one of the things that tends to happen is you get right with your soul and healing with your soul. And it tends to stop there. I'm not saying anything against counseling or that kind of therapy or any of that. I'm one of the first people to say it is so, so, so helpful. And Jesus teaches that too. But he takes it a step further and wants to heal the relationship as well. Because you and the other person that hurt you matter to Jesus. That person that has really, really hurt you in your life. God cares for just as much. God knitted each and every one of us together in His, in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our head. We are all part of the body of Christ. There are so many more passages that suggest that God cares about each and every single one of us. But Jesus here isn't asking us to be a doormat and let people walk all over you time and time again. Instead, you are commanded by Jesus to tell them. While biblical forgiveness is a quick decision, restoration and trust usually take time and I would argue proportionate to the offense. If a a babysitter hurts your children and truly says sorry, you must forgive them, but you would be foolish to let them babysit your children again. Trust is gradually restored as a person demonstrates who they are and where they are with God. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean removing all the consequences from a person's wrong actions. God forgave David, but he imposed heavy consequences for his sin so that he and others could see the seriousness of what they did. Granting forgiveness may include graciously relieving the offender of some or all the consequences, but not always. As a boss may forgive a dishonest employee, They may be put on probation or even fired. Jesus wants us to forgive, but better, he wants our relationships to be reconciled. Jesus wasn't naive to that fact either. We only have to look at the Gospels and see that people are messy, people get it wrong we have a woman about to be stoned, we have a tax collector, we have a woman at a well, we have all these stories that we see in the Bible of people getting it wrong and Jesus going up to them and saying, hey, what are you doing? But Jesus also knew that forgiveness and recognizing all those incidences, Jesus is asking people to change their way they live and, and forgiving them Because forgiveness is a catalyst for restoration of relationships. That means that if you want to live in community, if we want to live as community as Telford Minster, we need to work together. And we have to do the hard work of reconciliation. This is a a quote from a book by Jones and Muscara. And it's also, um, I heard it in a a podcast that was listened to by John Mark Comer. And it says, in the Lord's Prayer, forgiveness is placed alongside the basic human necessity of daily nourishment. Just as daily food sustains our bodies, daily forgiveness maintains the unity of the community. Oh, nice rhyme. For Jesus, it was imperative that his disciples understand that a relationship with God is closely tied to relationship with others. We as believers must form communities of forgiveness and reconciliation in a world of tribal, racial, religious and gender violence. Forgiveness can be understood as the oxygen of the kingdom as we breathe in. So we need to breathe it out. Forgiveness is hard. Reconciliation is hard. But apologising is even harder. We can't, I want to ask if, which person you are in this situation. When you apologise, are you a mutter under your breather? I'm sorry, and run away? Most of you will know that children often do that. Are you a, a huff and puff and not deal with it at all and go and be a hedgehog? Are you a blame shift? Well, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it to them. Which one are you in that situation? None of them are healthy, and some of them can lead to a really toxic place, this, this language around of, of blaming and apologizing. It can lead to abusive in that, I did it because she made me mad. Her dress was too short, and that, that's why I was tempted to touch her leg. Saying sorry, apologising is difficult. And sometimes we we just need to put on our big boy, girl and pants and go and say, I am sorry. Not if, but, but, I'm sorry for what I have done and sit in that painfulness and and wait for that person to respond. I said at the beginning, there were stages to restoration. And there are. There's zero, which is that even that conviction that we need to do anything at all, that we've done something wrong. There's one, there's confession. We become aware of what we have done and we, we go and verbalize it. Then there's the, I'm sorry bit not the focusing an eye it's that I've done this wrong then there's restitution if you've stolen from someone well you pay them back if you've gossiped about someone in your workplace you go and tell people those lies that you spread about them weren't true and then there's restoration you put your money where your mouth is And hopefully they will put their money where their mouth is to and a relationship will be restored. The end goal here is to be in relationship with one another. To restore those relationships. And we do this because it's so important to God. We are the body of Christ, and God wants us to get along with one another. When a cog, if you look at our human bodies, if one pivot isn't going to speak to the other bit, it's not going to work properly, is it? That's why Jesus warns us so strongly about being on guard against relational sins and emphasising so strongly the need to rebuke, repent and forgive. If you've strained relationship with a family member, a fellow Christian, a neighbour, non-Christian, I urge you to go and think about how to restore that relationship. And I believe that God will be pretty damn pleased with that when you go to do that. I said at the beginning I wanted to do communion at the end, um, because the act of the peace whatever however germ spreading the act of the peace is it's about reconciling relationships with people in your community that's why you say peace i have with you and um, i remember learning this and thinking once when taking communion um that i couldn't take it because i knew it would upset someone and i kid you not before i went up to take communion i text that person to say i'm sorry for what i'd done i didn't feel that i was right with that person and therefore i wasn't right with god So as we come to a close, before we have communion together, I just want us to take a moment, you might need to send a text, you might need to say to God I'm sorry for what I've done, and perhaps later on go and have a conversation with someone.